You are listening to Best Life After Cancer, episode number 67. Welcome to Best Life After Cancer. I'm so glad you're here. This is the podcast where cancer survivors and caregivers can get solutions and support to overcome the life challenges brought by their cancer diagnosis. If you are ready to release your fear, regain your joy, and reduce your risk, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Dr. Deborah Blitzbach. Hi, and welcome back. It has been a really spotty six months. And if you are still following along, a big thank you. If you are new to the podcast, I'm Dr. Deborah Blitzbach. I'm a radiation oncologist, life coach, and as of a little more than six months ago, a bereaved mother after losing my darling youngest son, Miles. If you are just starting with my podcast, I would suggest you go back and start closer to the beginning. For one, much of what I discuss builds on things I assume you know, and second, the earlier podcasts were more upbeat, and it's how I really want you to get to know me. Before I tell you what's new in my world, I would love to invite you to let me know where you are in life, in your cancer journey, what questions you have. I'm always looking for great cancer survivor stories, too, if you'd like to volunteer to be a guest. You can connect with me on Facebook at Best Life After Cancer MD or Instagram, also Best Life After Cancer MD, or check out my website www.bestlifeaftercancer.com, where I house all my free worksheets and trainings, and you can find podcast episode notes as well. So in my world, as many of you know, it has been a rough six months. COVID has become the least of my worries. I lost Miles in a car accident with my oldest son driving, And a week later, I lost my mother unexpectedly to complications of endocarditis. My poor oldest son has struggled with grief and flashbacks since the accident, understandably, and the worry about a child is only increased when you've already lost one. In December, our family joined the ranks of those affected with cancer. My husband was diagnosed with an early-stage vocal cord cancer, and received radiation in January and the early part of February. It was so strange having him be treated in my department, having his films show up in my queue when my partner was out of the office, and being the spouse of someone with symptoms from radiation and a radiation oncology doctor, well, not something I need to do again, that's for sure. I am for sure more sympathetic with patients than with my poor hubby. So after all of these challenges, one of my partners realized I was struggling. I told her the truth when she asked how I was doing. I said, I'm surviving. But she saw the true extent of my struggles and pushed me to take some time to recover from all of this, to take care of my oldest son, my husband, and myself. This is not something most physicians jump to doing. We are trained in a mindset of push through it, be tough. And sometimes that is just not the best thing. So that is what I want to talk about today. When we need to take a pause, why we shouldn't feel guilty, how to go about it, and how I think we should spend the time away from our jobs if we do make the decision to take time. 
I think anytime there are significant negative events in our lives, we need to assess and decide what we need, not what our family, friends, or coworkers think we need. An honest evaluation of where we are. If you have significant thoughts of hopelessness, if you have severe sleep disturbances, if you are spending much of your day crying, if your personal relationships are struggling and more, these are all signs that when I see them as a physician, lead me to trying to get someone more help and possibly some time off to recover. The first person to mention this to me actually was my GYN. When I told her how my year had been, she looked more and more concerned and said, what you have been through undoubtedly puts you at extremely high risk of illness. I'd love to see you take some time off. At the time, I was not ready to consider it. I thought I was doing fine. But after speaking with her, I did go home and look back at the Holmes and Ray stress scale. This was something I remembered from medical school. Holmes and Ray were psychiatrists in the late 1960s. They researched the links between stress and illness. They examined the medical records of 5,000 patients and focused on 43 common life events. They used this information to work out weights for the life events, meaning a score assigned to each event. They were able to tease out the point at which a person's combined stress load became problematic. This is basically a list of life events that, if stacked together, predict a significant risk of medical illness. They group them into low risk of illness, intermediate risk, or high risk. Unsurprisingly, I fell into the highest risk category, but I still wasn't ready to consider asking for time off. When I was first approached by my partner about the possibility of taking some time, immediately my brain went to, they think I'm not doing a great job. My partner knew this would be my first worry and was quick to reassure me. No, we all are actually amazed at how well you're doing with the patients, how consistent your care has been. We just know that you will never ask for this on your own. So we need to look out for you if you aren't truly looking out for yourself. I really want to take a second to point this out. For so many of us, our brains see taking time to take care of ourselves as weakness. Our brains jump to, they will think I'm just not strong enough to do everything, and then beat ourselves up about that. Instead, we could see it as a small price for more significant long-term gain. Because even if sticking it out now is good for our patients or clients, for our department or business, what about for us? If it means we burn out five years earlier because we didn't take three months to take care of ourselves, is that what is best? I think for many of us who are contributing to making the world a better place, the answer is no, not helpful for us or the world. For some reason, I thought I should be able to push through working, taking call, living with my grief, trying to help my son, supporting my husband that I should be able to put a smile on my face, help patients with all of their emotional challenges as they navigate a cancer diagnosis, and just get it all done. I am lucky in that my colleagues encouraged me to do this and were watching out for me and truly loving me. Because of that, I'm here to help you assess if you need the same encouragement. 
If you are struggling, I encourage you to look at the life changes scale. If you fall into a high risk category, I think it's pretty clear that some time to deal with all the stresses could be beneficial. If you are finding that you are having a hard time coping and that everything seems very overwhelming, speak with a trusted physician and get their opinion. It meant so much to me that my gynecologist suggested it. And when I met with my primary care and I told him, he was also in full agreement that it was completely justified and that he would support me taking as long as I thought I needed. So I worked through worrying that my colleagues thought I was not doing a great job, but we all know our human brains. We get one set of not great thoughts under control and the next thing pops its head up almost like whack-a-mole. The next thing I noticed was the huge amount of guilt that came from what I saw as inconveniencing my partners. I knew they would need to work longer and harder, that there would be juggling to make sure there was coverage for the patients and our different offices. As someone who has always been a hard worker and a team player, this was so hard to swallow. I hear this so much from my patients as well. There isn't anyone else who can do my work. They can't function without me. It will put a burden on my coworkers. I had all of these thoughts and more. And believe me when I say, it really is hard to replace a doctor that's been there for more than 20 years. But when I talked to my colleagues, invariably they said, I'm so glad you are taking the time you need to take care of yourself and your family. We are all here to support you. We know you would 100% do the same for us. The sense that people were being asked to do things they didn't want to do, guess what? It was just in my head. It was my brain saying that, not theirs. And all those thoughts that the work wouldn't get done without me, it may not be fun or pretty, but it is all getting done. The truth is, if we died, our businesses or practices would have to figure it out without us. A medical leave is the same. We just tell ourselves that they can't figure it out, so we don't even give them a chance to. There is always a solution to these things. If you are in a place where you are struggling with guilt, I'd encourage you to look at the thoughts causing the guilty feeling. It isn't as if we did this on purpose. In no life would I give up my son for a few months off, and I'm pretty sure you wouldn't pick having cancer for a leave either. Our guilt is hindering our ability to take the best care of ourselves. And we know that taking care of ourselves now leads to a healthier person later. I'm not saying you can't have those feelings. I'm just suggesting that you look at the thoughts causing the guilt. For most of us, the consideration to take time off comes with a number of very valid financial concerns. These may include salary or income. It may include a discussion of benefits. We all know that these rough times are not the time for us to let there be a lapse in our insurance. The concerns may also be about job security. Will we get our same job back? Will our position be held? All I can tell you for certain is that these are valid concerns that you should consider before making any final decisions. The place to start these discussions is usually human resources. They can advise you on options. 
Most larger companies are required to provide leave with job security for a number of months, but I am not an employment lawyer, so definitely this is something to look into and understand what the options are with your particular job. I believe it helps to have your primary or some other doctor supporting your request for leave before bringing this to your job, but there are many ways to do this. I just really needed to hear from someone I trusted that this was entirely justified. So now we get to what I think we should be doing with this time off. Let me tell you first what I don't think this time off is for. It is not for sitting on your butt watching daytime TV. It is not for foraging on crap from the pantry all day long. It is likely not for random shopping trips, but I will get to that in a moment. It is for increasing our health and resilience. For me, my health actually took a big downturn after Miles died. I was eating all sorts of things that didn't fuel my body well, drinking a drink or two most nights, not sleeping well, not exercising, and spending a big part of every day either crying or trying not to cry. I felt that part of the time off was reestablishing some of my good habits limiting my flour and sugar because they give me more food cravings and the gluten gives me joint pain, cutting back on alcohol because I sleep better when I don't drink at all. I also know the increased cancer risk with daily alcohol, and I prefer not to take on that risk unnecessarily with our family where it is right now. I wanted to get back to exercising because it makes my body feel better and it relieves some of the sadness and anxiety I experience and it helps with my sleep. I wanted to spend time outside daily because I truly believe nature should be our first antidepressant with others added only if nature doesn't completely fix our issues. So I began taking steps to improve my physical health because I know when my body is functioning well, I feel better overall. I also knew I wanted to work on my resilience because that is what grief needs. There is no quick fix. We need strength for the long haul. In looking at this, there were four pillars that I knew I needed. The first was journaling, getting all the thoughts out of my head and onto paper every day. Guess what? For weeks, they were the same thoughts. I can't believe he is gone. I don't want to go on without him. This is so fucking unfair. But then there started to be a bit of others surfacing some anger, some thoughts of what we would be missing over the years with him gone, some thoughts of what I adored about him, progress. But I had to get out those first thoughts to make room for new ones. Second, I resumed being coached with both an individual coach and a group coach. Initially, I wasn't sure I was ready because I knew I was not at a place where I wanted to work on finding better thoughts about losing miles but it has been amazing in helping me to process my emotions, which means experiencing them in my body instead of just in my mind. To help me see thoughts that were really unhelpful and see if I could find one even 1% better. An example, I had a thought that life could never be perfect again. Not great, it totally shuts down the ability to appreciate joy. So what about maybe perfect moments? For me, that was possible and at least opened the door to finding occasional happiness. 
Coaching helped me to allow the anger that I had been completely suppressing out of fear that my son might sense it and think I was angry at him instead of the universe. Third, I sought out support from someone who really understands both the situation and me. I found another mom who lost her son seven years ago to be a mentor as I navigate this. She is very much like me in that she lost her son in a sudden, unexpected accident. He was about the same age. She is an optimist, a believer in the power of gratitude, and someone who is working to create a meaningful life after loss. So we have a lot in common. I also joined a grief group with my son. Fourth, I'm working on meditating. I wanted to get back to meditating daily because meditating is all about learning to let our thoughts go without grabbing onto them and going down the rabbit hole. I know from experience, when I meditate more, I have more ability to let go of some of the thoughts. Finally, I think this is an opportunity to actively seek out joy. Lunches with friends or family, walks with people who reached out to me in past months when I was too sad or tired to interact, some gentle travel. I know, strange term. For me, this wasn't a time for an epic vacation, but more for easy travel that focused on being outdoors and on who I was with over where we were. I'm working myself up to resuming ballroom dance. Phil and I are starting to go out to eat a bit more. I'm even planning to go to Germany to see my unofficially adopted daughter's new baby. Grief and loss make it hard for us to see joy, but it is there if we can just stretch our minds to find it. What I do want to tell you, watching crap TV, over shopping, dozing all day, none of these are true joy. They may feel good in the moment, but they will not create memories that will actually improve your sense of well-being. Find true joy, not just momentary pleasure. Okay, my friends, that is it for today. I'd love to hear your feedback in the Facebook group, Best Life After Cancer MD. I hope this helps you to understand that you are in charge of supporting yourself. And it maybe gives you the little push to take some time if you need it. I'll talk with you again soon. Thanks for listening to Best Life After Cancer. Did you know you can get more information on my website, bestlifeaftercancer.com? There is also a Facebook page, Best Life After Cancer MD, where there is a group just for survivors. Here you are able to interact with me, ask questions, and get more help. I'd love to see you there. Have a great week, and I'll speak with you soon.